This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to an, an inaugural podcast on the Nerdy Legion. We've talked about doing this, and we're finally doing it. We may only be doing it once a month. We may end up doing it more. We'll see. may depend on the feedback we get from you guys, uh, and it may just depend on the lack of time that we have. But this <laughs> is comics in black and white. Uh, we wanted to talk about black and white comics and it may not specifically stay that tightly into the guidelines, uh, but as you guys have heard on on VCP, Martin and I both like a lot of comics that uh, at least started in black and white. Uh, we like a lot of comics with uh, anthropomorphic animals, uh, the Ninja Turtles, Usagi Yojimbo. Uh, I'm getting ready to dip my toes into Cerebus uh, with like the 1,200 or so pages I picked up for 40 bucks on eBay. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those phone books, man. Um, we'll make that make more sense someday. Uh, <laughs> Bone. So uh, Martin wanted to talk about Bone. So, I mean, those are just a few of the ones that are books that we love, or in the case of Cerebus, haven't read yet, but have been highly uh, interested in reading. Uh, but we we basically we want to shed, shed some light on a segment of comics that's easy to be overlooked, and that's comics that are produced uh, with, I guess you'd say, a little lower budget, often in black and white. Uh, the emphasis is less on the art than on the story, typically. But the one thing that shines true in these comic books is that the creators are making what they want to make, and that love, that passion, uh, even the freedom to do what they want to do really shines through. And it's just amazing how long-standing and how epic these things that can seem so simple can be. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight and uh martin do you have something you wanted to, to say before we kick off with our first subject matter um uh, yeah i guess i could go into the little thing i mentioned before um and it seems like there's some kind of bias against black and white comics and i, I don't even know what it is and i guess tonight we're going to talk a little bit or quite a bit about bone um because that's been one of my favorites since it came out but uh in preparation for us recording i, I went ahead and, and started seeing if anybody was reading bone nowadays because it's you know it's been done for 10 plus years um there there was a uh a one shot quote-unquote trade it was like an oversized issue uh, that came out i think a month or two ago uh the bone coda and it's a story that takes place after bone ends um and so i figured like maybe somebody's reading the stuff now and i started looking and i found like some reviews of of bone um and a lot of it was kind of negative because it's black and white. And I'm not sure yeah, what that is. Bone, not only that with Bone, but it's it's drawn in a, a more of a cartoon style like Sunday morning comics would be, right? It's yeah. not it's not even black and white just like as if the art wasn't colored. It's it's a different kind of style. It's a very it's a cartoonist kind of style instead of a like kind of what we're used to with comic art. Well, and I mean, Jeff Smith was a cartoonist when he started doing Bone, right? Um, I think he was doing, I think he worked like Nickelodeon or something before he did Bone. Uh, so that's kind of the background that he was coming from. But, uh, yeah, like, I, I just don't get it. You know, we, we talked a little bit before the podcast about people say they love comics, but don't actually love the art form of comics. They just love like specific genres of comics, um, and I think that's maybe why some of the reviews that I was seeing weren't overly positive on Bone because they weren't concentrating on 
the story itself, but it was more about, well, it's a black and white book. Um, and now granted, there, there was, there were colored editions of Bone released. Um, but originally it was a black and white comic. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting too that you say that it's reviewers who are saying negative things because reviewers, you would expect them to review a book in the context of what they're reviewing. If they're reviewing a black and white comic book that is drawn in a, a cartoonist style, you would think that they would t- review it as that under some other criteria, which it, honestly, if, if Bones getting a bad review, people are reviewing it expecting it to be something else, which uh, for I, I know nowadays everybody can review anything anywhere. There's like it's ridiculous, like how many people do reviews and how many of them shouldn't be doing reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't trust reviews, people. Like yeah. <laughs> you can use reviews to guide you if you're on the fence, but read between the lines of the reviews. You can read a review where they say they hate it, but listen to what they're saying about it, and you can read that review and still realize that you would like it. And that you just disagree with this person. So yeah, reviews can still be useful, but you, you really have to be critical with reviews because well, reviewers I, are a dime a dozen nowadays. Like there, there's like no legitimate, reliable reviewers. Yeah. If you get no, to know a reviewer like, you like, you can trust their opinion. But right. otherwise. I mean, to, to be a comic reviewer, it's pretty simple. You email a website or, or even, even better, you know somebody that has a website. And you say, hey, can I go review this comic? And they're like, yep, here's a PDF. Have fun. Yep, and uh, they don't really care what you say about it either. And they, they don't care what you say about it as long as you're right about it because then they keep getting more review copies. Uh, so they're you know, reading comics for free, I guess. Um, and that's fine. Like Not everybody does that, so don't get me wrong. There are places that legitimately care about the way the reviews are. Yeah. Right? Um, there are those places. And, of course, the same is with, with, with podcasters. You know, like we, we don't review books on VCP because we don't care to review books. Um, you know, we might say a thing or two. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I do like Aftershock Central and, and in that podcast we do review. But, yeah, uh, you know, we, this. <laughs> we also try to be, you know, even though we are all in in that particular publisher, we don't want to just be overly positive because that's not genuine. Right. I, yeah. I got to make one point. Uh, you're not all in. If you haven't read Slayer, I know you have. I have, and you I'm mean Strayer. I'm call, calling out the ones who haven't. You mean, you mean Strayer, not Slayer. Strayer, whatever. I don't really care. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I moved on. Uh, but okay, so one more thing before we talk about the the book that we well we already said we're going to talk about Bones. So I guess we spoiled that. But um, the the last thing I wanted to say is kind of I I wanted to do a little more research into what the the 80s black and white comic boom was. I wasn't able to do much research my memory about it a little bit. But basically what happened uh, is Ninja Turtles, Eastman and Laird, uh, they created Ninja Turtles, published it themselves, black and white, and uh, it became really successful. I mean, it's obviously really successful and uh, has made a massive amount of money. It's one of the biggest properties there is, period. And as far as something that, that – was an indie book like that's got to be the biggest indie book ever as far as success mm-hmm. uh, i mean th- there could be stuff you could say has more critical merit but when you know when you just look at the success of it like ninja turtles is far beyond anything else yeah I uh, and so it, it opened the door for a lot of people so the reason that there were so many 80s comics coming out or sorry black and white comics coming out in the 80s is uh it, it was cheaper you, you know it's cheaper to print black and white than color i mean even then compared to nowadays, you know, 
It was way more. Do you remember when uh, color photocopies used to cost like over a buck a piece? <laughs> oh god, yeah. Like it was, it was ridiculous, right? Yep. Uh, so it was very different back then. So people were able to, they, just, you know, there were creators that wanted to get their stuff out. So it really opened the door for a lot of stuff. And it's not to say that the Ninja Turtles was the first instance of this happening. Like we already mentioned, Cerebus. Cerebus started before Ninja Turtles, and Cerebus ran for like thirty years. Uh, so it Ninja Turtles really like just kicked the doors down, you know. Um, so that's a little bit about the '80s comic uh, boom. Uh, I would like to learn more about it, and honestly, anybody who is listening to this, if you have any good resources. Uh, or websites or whatever to find out more about it. I would love to know those because sometimes Googling stuff like 80s comic boom, uh, those words are pretty general words. So it doesn't get you the best search results. Uh, so if anybody can help me with uh, finding out any more depth of info, that would be great also. Uh, but so for this, this first uh, episode, we're going to talk about Bone. We read book one of Bone. I read the whole Bone epic uh, many years ago now. I've lived in Maine for over five years, and it was uh, within probably a year or two before that. So it's been six or seven years since I've read Bone, and I've never forgotten it. <laughs> and I read it when I, I wasn't I wasn't into comics when I read Bone. Like it was kind of my first little dip into comics, and I backed out of comics and stopped reading comics for a long time. I uh, and I, I don't even know. Like I couldn't even tell you for sure what drew me to it. I mean, for one thing, the 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 price of this like giant book that's bigger than the Bible, basically, mm-hmm. it's huge. Uh, and just you know the, the the awards and stuff it got. Like you and I have talked literature a lot. If anybody's listened to Valiant Central podcast, we we tip, you know talk about our backgrounds and that a little bit from time to time. So I was reading tons of literature at the time. So I was whenever looking for something, you're looking for something that is lauded by somebody. And so this caught my eye at some point. And I read it and reading it again, reading that first book, uh, there were just the first issue of Bone mm-hmm. had some of my favorite moments in the whole series just within that first issue. Yeah, the first issue is great. Really, the whole first volume is great. Um, I th- yeah, I was actually rereading it. I was surprised how much happened in that first volume yeah. that seemed like it was a bigger portion of the story than it really was. Yep. Yeah, and I mean the storytelling is not perfect, right? Because it's the first comic that this guy's doing, but uh, the the character design and and the world that these characters live in really sells the story well enough, where you can kind of bypass some of those things and really appreciate the story for what it is. Yeah, and it's interesting because you get this juxtaposition of this really simple character design for the main characters, mm-hmm. uh, phone bone. I, I, Phone bone, phone phony bone, bone, and smiley bone. bone. Yeah. Um, the phone bone and phony bone threw me off my head there for a minute. <laughs> I don't have anything in front of me except a few notes. I didn't put their names. Um, yeah, I mean, their character design is incredibly simple. I mean, yes. it's almost so simple that, like, re- reading through it, especially when you get towards the end of that first trade and you get smiley bone back, mm-hmm. it's like he's such just a generic, goofy character yep. that, I mean, he really feels just unimportant really at that point he hasn't done a lot at that point so they haven't developed his character very much but even um so phone bone is like the protagonist and phony bones the rich one right yes that's what i was flip-flopping i want to make sure i had that straight even phony bone he's like he's like i I don't know if it's fair i don't know if it's fair to say that phony's the rich one phony is the scheming one 
Yeah, he he's the he was he's think like Scrooge McDuck, but yeah, more exactly. of a jerk, basically. Exactly. That's kind of what he is. Well, and actually, uh, that that is the basis for the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phone is Mickey, and then Smiley is Daffy, and or not Daffy, um, Goofy, and Phony is Daffy is Scrooge. I did not know that. You'll have to tell me more of where you found this stuff out. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the characters are, they're all pretty similar. I mean, just like you said right there, they're basically, they're, they're very generic looking characters and they're templates for already known characters, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yep. Um, but what's interesting is they're so simple, but then you look at the juxtaposition of them and the other characters in the stories, and then, uh, especially in, the, in that first volume, their story seems so simple. They got ran out of town. Weird things happen. They they lose each other. They find each other. I mean, it's really a pretty simple story. Mm-hmm. But the the massive story that that is the epic of Bone uh, is like hidden there. You know, you see the two rat creatures for a while, and then you see the scope of like what's really going on with the rat creatures. You get inklings of things that we still don't even know about. Right. Uh, with you know, where did the dragon come from? Like, what are they taught? Like, they're referring to stuff that has occurred in the past so you have these you know really simple characters that are the the main characters of the story supposedly but you're juxtaposing them into this world that they've stumbled into the characters in this other world are a lot more interesting to look at and there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than there are with the bones Mm -hmm. yeah there's um i mean when you come down to a lot of a lot of the story is kind of like lord of the rings um, minus the ring, I guess, you know, but a lot of the same fantasy elements that make Lord of the Rings different from other fantasy stories is what I feel makes Bone different from other similar type of comics. Um, because even though like all the character designs are very simple, but each character has like a really complex history um, and you don't get a whole lot of that in, in what we read in Volume 1. Uh, but as you read on, like some of the stuff that ends up happening or has happened with some of these characters is freaking crazy, you know? Um, and it obviously took a lot of planning on Jeff Smith's part to get all those pieces together. Yeah, like the first glimpse of that you get is seeing Thorne's uh, dream or nightmare, I guess, of when she was a, a small child, right? And the coming of the rat creatures. Uh, so that, that you know, everything seems so simple up until that point, really. Like just before that, you get the um, like the the rat creatures. You see these two that just seem like stupid creatures, and then their commander comes, who's bigger and fiercer, and says that the hooded one wants to talk to them. We'll get more into the hooded one in a minute. <laughs> then you see the scope of the rat creature army. You see that right before you see Thorn's nightmare. So even just seeing that is still kind of like, uh, okay, this is different than I expected. Then you see Thorn's nightmare, and you see that these aren't just dumb creatures; that they're like really vicious, murdering, you know, animals. I mean. They're more than just animals. They're not stupid beasts. Right. Uh, but there's there's a, a vicious and calculatedness to them that you, you assumed wasn't the case up until that point. And I would um, say I would say that's probably like the first big reveal of the story, though, mm-hmm. because when you see the rat creatures in, in volume one earlier on, they're really stupid. You know, like when they first meet Phonebone in the valley, when he phones in the valley, um, 
and they're talking about like making the quiche. Uh huh. You know, like all pretty much all it seems like is they're like uh, wood bandits, right? Who are just gonna like grab all his crap, kill him, and eat him, right? Because they're just wood creatures or whatever. Um, but yeah, like once you start getting some of the story of the hooded one, Lord of the Locusts, and all that. Um, it gets a little more intense, and you see that there's definitely a lot more going on in this world than what at first appears to be going on. Yeah, so going back to the monsters, especially the the two rat creatures earlier on before you know that there's more to it than that, mm-hmm. I, I love, I love the rat creatures. Like, those character designs and just the way they, they act, and, you know, one minute they look completely non-threatening, especially, you know, if they're not, if their mouth turned open at all, they look like 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 cousin it pretty much like they just look like a big hairball basically if they're mm-hmm. just kind of standing there um you know but then they'll you know when they talk or whatever like well you can see they have claws you can see they have fangs but there's not much to it but then all of a sudden jeff smith will draw them in the shadow where their eyes are white and popping out and their fangs are white and popping out and they look just like they go from being like non-threatening to fierce just like that uh just the way they use everything on, on them uh, the bearing the teeth, using the claws to portray, uh, you know, the, the fierceness. Um, the use of their ears to portray emotion is great too. Yeah, um, that's you know, like th- you see like a dog or something like that. You know, they're they're up and pointing when they're looking bigger and being threatening. They lay them back if they're, uh, you know, like frightened or skeptical or something like that. You know. Yeah, I think that shows a lot to his animation background, though. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's, and that's part of what makes this so good in in the subtlety. The the artwork may not be the this like, you know, elaborate, breathtaking comic book artwork that people are used to, mm-hmm. uh, but the so much can be done with simple simple art, and it's in how you do it, and he does it so well. Yeah, I mean, the bones are pretty much bubbly stick figures, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's nothing to them. If you uh if you like go on Google and and just look up like uh just a sketch or something like one of the original sketches. Um, that's pretty much what they look like. It's just bubbly stick figures, but they're so expressive in, in the few features that they actually have, right? Like as soon as you look at phone bone, you can tell he's kind of an a-hole, right? I mean, he's got that smirk face on all the time and all it is, is like a slight squint in, in the eye and then like the weird smile. Um, but you can tell he's not the nicest of persons, um, or whatever animals the bones are. <laughs> um, but then, and then you have like phone bone who's like just in awe of everything. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of hard to like describe his facial expressions, but it's kind of always the same. You know, he's, he's just like a, like a wide eyed kid. Um, and, and everything, yeah. and everything he sees, he's just surprised and amazed at it. Yeah, and you know that this uh, one of the things that portrays a lot is just the subtleties and the movements of how they do stuff. Um, the one that really pops out in my head is when they find Smiley again, and Phone uh, tells him, "Pick me up so I can get a look at you," because he's like half as tall as Smiley. So <laughs> Smiley picks him up and holds him out, and just that one panel and, and the words with it too. It just it really shows a lot about their personalities. You know, Smiley is the goofy one, but he's also protective. Of his little, uh, are, are they all cousins? Is that what they are? Yeah, they're cousins. Yeah, so he's protective of his little cousin, which he just said that before this panel, but still, um, you know, he picks up his little cousin 
you know, this, this guy is like half his size, but it's not in any kind of condescending way. And his cousin is telling him to pick him up. Like, even though he's the little guy being picked up, he's kind of the adult in this situation too. And like, he's looking fondly on his cousin and glad to see him again. Mm. Just the way they do it, it, it's just so much like trust and, and just, you know, care for each other is portrayed so quickly with so little. And that, that's, you know, a sign of, you know, real art there. Yeah, that's that's particularly true with the creatures, right? So the bones and the rat creatures. Um, I don't think it shows off as well with the humans, though. Um, I, you know, I I don't know if I agree with you. Uh, Grant the the grandma. Um, one ben. of the things I love about her, yeah, Grandma Ben. She her facial expression pretty much never changes, right? But the emotions that are being portrayed are showed in other ways and it doesn't take a lot. Uh, like the scene where she runs into, to phony bone and he's a jerk and insults her cow and she gets mad. Mm -hmm. She hardly moves from panel to panel. She's barely is lifting one sleeve and she tells Ted that, you know, he needs to get lost. And it says a lot right there. It's, you know, I mean, we were set up knowing that she's very passionate about her cows uh, yes. <laughs> but like it's very clear right there like she's not joking she's gonna whip the crap out of this uh this little bone guy you know right um there's there's so much portrayed in very subtle things um and with the with the humans that have more characteristics they can use to show this they actually mute some of them uh so that way they have to show it in other ways which makes it just it makes it more interesting to me it makes it you know it's it's it takes away your your status quo of this is how I understand what you're portraying. So you have to pay attention to the other things that are going on to get it, which makes the comic better once again. Right. Otherwise, it would just be, you know, it, it would just be animation. You know, it would just be cartooning and be it would be simpler. But because you're not relying on the, the most basic things, um, Thorne's the one character. She's kind of like, I guess you'd call her like the, the straight person in this. Yeah. You know, she's not goofy. She's not, uh, exaggerated. So like, she is more the, the character that is drawn like a normal person. And, you know, it can make her a little, a little less interesting in ways, but that's, it, it also kind of solidifies her as really the center of what's going on, even though this is the, the story of Bone, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that I remembered the most about Bone was how they would do certain things in certain panels and have drastic changes happen, and I loved it. And there were three that I wrote down that I wanted to talk about. Um, and I, I don't know if I have these in the right order. Uh, I may have flip-flopped some of them. Um, the first one is when the dragon is first revealed to Phone Bone. Mm -hmm. It's revealed with it there in the dark. He just yes. ran off the two rat creatures. And Phone thinks it's Smiley and lights a match to light his cigar, and it's the dragon with a cigarette. And yes. you see him for one panel, then it's out. And I love that. And his his facial feature is like it is in, in a lot of the panels with the dragon, where he's just completely he, – he looks a little little uh, grumpy, I guess you'd say. Bored, I would say. Straight face. Yeah, bored. That's actually a good, good way to say it. Uh, he just looks bored and – it, it just it's so quick and to just think like you know phone has to see this for that brief moment and then process all this in the dark and then the dragon's gone i just i thought that was a great reveal of the dragon even though we had seen the dragon a little bit before that mm -hmm. it was a great reveal to bone 
right. uh, to phone bone. Uh, the next one is uh, when he's talking to Ted, who's this little tiny dot of a bug. A bug, yeah. And then he's like, you know, my bit, my big brother. And Phone's like, what's your big brother gonna do? And then the next panel, you see this gigantic bug. <laughs> uh, just you know, once again, the you know the absurdity of it. You know, there's like you know, tiny to big. You know, the dragon, the darkness to the light, and having to cope with that. And then the next one, and this is. Probably my favorite panel. Wait, wait before uh, you go to that one though, okay. we're talking about Ted's bigger brother. He only looks big because we see him from the side, but then when he walks off, he's more like a stick figure. Yeah, no, I love that too. Yeah, you see him walking off in the distance, and when you see him by the side, he—I mean, he still is very tall. Oh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but he's not very wide, you know. Right. He's just—they're uh, just like leaf bugs. Um, so the the last one, and this is probably my favorite panel and bone is when winter comes on and this actually takes two panels instead of one panel but the winter comes on quick and then you get to the end of that first issue you get a panel where in the middle of the panel is the layer of snow falling uh-huh. and then the next panel it's fallen and that it's winter now just like that right and i think that uh that all of those things but especially that one just really sets the tone that this is a different world and it really makes you Stop thinking like we do in our world, you know, like this is just different. Like stuff doesn't happen like you expect here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I've seen that in in cartoons before, that blanket of snow just plopping down and suddenly it's winter. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen it before, but it works well. Now, I don't think I had seen it when I first read Bone. Um, It's just kind of something maybe I picked up later on or something I rewatched. I, I don't know what it was. I'm sure it was some kind of Walt Disney thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of my favorites as well. Um, and that's a great way to end the issue because um, then you go into what happens next. But anyway. Yeah, pretty much all the issues end great like that too. Yeah. It, it is, it's not like a cliffhanger, but it's like something to give a real break to it. It's like if they didn't show that they were shifting issue to issue, you would still feel like they were shifting issue to issue. Yep. I'm surprised you didn't bring up the one with the rat creatures on the side of the mountain. I did. You know, I uh, I, I sent you the picture of that. Yeah. That was a good example of one of them. And what I love, too – so, you know, we talk about how much a lot of the stuff that uh, Jeff Smith did in this is like what you would see in a cartoon. Uh, but with it being not a like an animation where it's moving, what they choose to show in each panel is so important. Mm-hmm. And the one you're referring to – so in the first panel – he was on a little stick across this big gap. And he's standing on it saying, there's no way the rat creatures will be dumb enough to jump across onto this stick. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the next panel, they're on the stick with him. And he's looking at them just so angry. You stupid, stupid rat creatures. <laughs> and it's so funny. And, you know, one of the things that I don't like in comics, and this is why I don't like older comics for the most part, is when they tell you what's happening. Right. And that's an instance where they literally tell you what's happening, so it's so clear what makes sense, and then they show you the opposite thing happening. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's such it's like you know such a great kind of cartoon thing, but it really shows you the uh, it shows you so much about the characters and the relationships between them. You know, the rat creatures are stupid; they're definitely stupid. But part of it is also they're so driven to eat this guy because they're hungry. So like they have, they have a reason they have a drive behind what they're doing. And that's gonna, you know, if you're just stupid, you don't jump off a cliff. 
You know, right. you you're going to be too scared to do that, so you're not going to jump off the cliff. But if you're stupid and hungry, so you don't think about what you're doing, that's when you jump off the cliff onto a little stick that breaks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that was that's. There's so many. That first issue just blows me away, and it amazes me how you can look back on on some of these properties and look at the first issue. And you know, I mean, Bone is massive. It's it's got to be like over a thousand pages, right? Um, yeah, I think that that the uh, one volume phone book thing is thirteen hundred and fifty pages, something like that. Yeah, it's it's huge, and I've read the whole thing. I remember all these different details, and I'm amazed how many details I specifically remembered about the very first issue. <laughs> and I think it just really shows that that's what makes things like this special is this creator wasn't saying, I'm a comic creator. I'm going to make up a comic book so I can make money. Right. Like he really – like this is something he wanted to do, and yep. he did it, and that, you know, that's what makes it special. Um, the, the last thing I want to point out specifically about this book is uh, the hooded one. Uh, so we see him a little bit in two different settings. Um, I don't really want to go into the two different settings yet uh, because, I, like, I don't want to just like lay out everything that's happening in the story. I just want to talk about like what things make the story special. Sure. Um, so you know, in comics, you have speech bubbles. The hooded one speech bubbles. He always has a hood on. His head's always down, right? Mm-hmm, so you don't mm-hmm. see him. And the speech bubble, the the tail of it comes like. It's like it's physically coming out of his mouth when he talks. You know, it's like comes down. It's all kind of squiggly because he's a creepy figure, right? Right. But it comes down out of the hood and hooks around and goes up to where he's talking. And it just it creates such a different effect that having a speech bubble that points to the top of his head, which is what we're used to, it's like it's coming out of him. And it just it gives such a weight to what he's saying compared to everybody else because mm. his words are connected like they, they're physically coming out of him. They're not just words coming out like they do for everybody else. Right. So that's the that's the last specific thing that I wanted to say about this book. Do you have anything specifically that you wanted to to say? Um, no, not really. I do want to make a, a slight correction, which I I don't know how far you've gotten into the book, uh, but if I remember correctly, the dragon is a girl, and that's important later on down the line. Yeah, you know, one thing that's cool about how long it's been since I've read this is I don't remember everything. Yeah. So it's kind of cool, like, going through and not just knowing what's going to happen. I get, you know, I remember enough of it. It's like because I remember it, I'll remember what's going to happen before it comes, but it's still like, you know, it's it's a cool feeling. You know, it's still kind of surprising to have these memories brought back up. So, yeah, I, I don't recall that, and I don't think it specifically came up. In the uh, it doesn't the it doesn't volume yeah it doesn't. um yeah I mean I, I just urge everyone to if they've never read it to read it um and you know we've talked in, in other podcasts about reading comics with your kids this is probably one of those books that you can read to your kids yeah um, totally I mean, aside least, from the fact that two characters are smoking <laughs> in it, <laughs> um it's as kid friendly as you can be pretty much yeah well I mean Uncle Scrooge used to smoke cigars you know so. Yeah, it just goes back to older. When was, when did Bones start? I didn't look that up. So I think Bones started in ninety four, mm-hmm. um, and it ended in two thousand and or ninety three. Ended in two thousand four. It was like ten or eleven years that it went on, uh, but it's only fifty five issues because it was coming out every other month. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a short stint of time where it wasn't published, 
because Jeff Smith was having issues, financial issues. Um, and that's when Image picked up the book and they published it for not, I don't even know, a year maybe. Um, that's when I was reading it in floppies, by the way. Um, I had, I'd heard of this before because I'd read about it in Wizard Magazine. Um, but I hadn't read it because it was so hard to find back then, dude. I mean, this guy was doing the book by himself, like out of his garage, you know? So it was hard to pick it up in a shop. Um, you could pick him up from his store, but they would sell up super quickly. Um, but yeah, Image picked it up for a little while and that made him enough money because of the additional distribution channels. Um, that he was able to kind of renege on the deal and went back and started doing it uh, with cartoon books again. That's, it's really interesting to see how stuff like that works out because a lot of times uh, there's something like that that is is it creates the opportunity for these things to keep going. Mm-hmm. Like an, another comic book uh, that I love that it's not a black and white one, but it's um, you know one creator really like setting the the project that's been huge and still ongoing is hellboy um mignola you know i mean it got picked up as a movie and you can say what you want about the quality of the movie or whatnot but mignola has said like the the comic book probably wouldn't have been able to keep going if it wasn't made into a movie because that Mm -hmm. drew the people into it that drew the money into it and it was like it was just getting going then you know yeah so you know the the right thing happens opens the door I, you know, I, I haven't really watched it in a long time. I watched a little bit of it when I was at my sister's house when I went out to California, but I probably watched like maybe 10 or 15 minutes and I was just like, this isn't very good. Yeah, I know, uh, but, but I, I just, also just read it. You know? It's just like the visual aesthetic is, is different, right? Just like Hellboy's visual aesthetic in the comic is different. I actually think the visual aesthetic of it is okay. I think it's the, the story elements that I, I didn't. As there, there, they did a lot of stuff differently, and I didn't really like what it did to uh, Hellboy's character. But uh, that's that's for another podcast. Um, I've got a little bit of uh, trivia for for the collectors, for those of you that uh, want to pick up something odd with bone in it. You ready for this, yeah. Paul? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so, if bone were to have a crossover. What would be like some odd choices for Bone to cross over with? Spawn. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that wouldn't be that weird. I mean, Cerebus was in Spawn. Well, yeah, it, that was pretty dang weird. That's why I said that <laughs> one actually. Um, I I really don't know. Like I honestly, Bone in just about anything would be kind of weird because it's. That cartoon style. I mean, if it was another like cartoon styled comic, it wouldn't be weird, but most things aren't. So there was a very odd crossover with. I'm sure you didn't read this, but Gen 13. Oh uh, gosh, yeah, that, <laughs> that's an odd pairing. <laughs> so uh, Gen 13 number 13 was a three part story. It was 13A, 13B, and 13C. Three different issues. Um, and it was kind of a, a play on the whole uh, comic collector hysteria of the 90s. Um, so one of the characters finds this chromium cover of one of his favorite comics, and it takes him on this like weird adventure. So there's actually a bunch of other characters that pop in, like um, Archie and the whole gang are in this ish- in this comic um, in 13A. Um, Bone pops in in the next issue in 13B. 
um, I can't remember the character's name, but he ends up in Bean World, where um, where Ted the Bug is from. Uh-huh. Um, so there's like a bunch of Ted's like swimming around, and this guy's there, and Bones there, um, and the guy picks up some uh, some of these bugs and tries to eat them. He's like, oh, like it's kind of gross, and spits them out, and, and Bones like, those are my friends. Like, what are you doing eating the little people? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's pretty funny, and there's a bunch of other things in here that make fun of Liefeld and Lady Death is in here, Shy, um, I don't know, a bunch of other stuff. Oh, I I need to find that. It, you know, it just really goes to show Image had no shame. <laughs> they If they owned a property, they would take advantage of everything that they could. Yep, they sure did. Yeah, as much as they were founded on uh, creators uh, owning their creations, man, every one of those damn creators sold out, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They sure did. Which is funny because now they really kind of are more for that, and uh, yeah, they they give creators that vehicle. But man, it just the more I find out about '90s image, the more I'm like this. You know, everything that they <laughs> said they were about, it sounds more like it was Todd McFarlane wanting their money in his wallet. Mm. But uh, I digress. Uh, so next time, which uh, we're next time will be in a month, about four four weeks a month. You know, yep. Give yep. A little bit. Uh, we're going to read uh, the first trade paperback of Usagi Yojimbo, which anybody who's listening to this probably knows that we've been talking about that and we've been reading it. Um, we've actually gone far uh, past that, but we don't want to lose the details in the expanse of the story. So Martin and I are both going to reread the first trade paperback. And anybody that wants to read along, uh, make sure you read the first trade paperback, which is published by Fantagraphics Books. It's It's... Yes, it's book, very findable. Book, book one, not volume one. Yeah, vol- if you find the Dark Horse trade paperback volume one, uh, the omnibus, that's actually starting with trade number eight. So yes. if, if you want to get this, like you're not just going to walk in a bookstore and find it, but you can easily order it online. Um, and I know that uh, one of our uh, listeners uh, got it for like four bucks on abooks.com. Uh, oh, really? with, I think with shipping too. It was, he got it very cheap. So it's easy to find, um, if you, if you want to read along with us. Uh, I would also suggest reading, uh, if you want to catch up with Bone, read the first, uh, the first trade worth of material, but then read the second trade because we may delve into talking about that next time also. Those would be the things that we go into. So, yes. uh, and the, the Bone, the, the paperback omnibus of Bone, the black and white one that we're talking about. I think the retail price is like forty bucks. So if you know if you're used to using computers at all, you should be able to get it for a lot less than that because only suckers pay full price for books. Yeah, two two comments on that. Um, there's several printings. I'm gonna we we talked about this before. Or I think yesterday we we're talking about it, right? Or the day before. Yeah. Um, there's several printings of the one volume bone. Um, it doesn't really matter which one you get. I recommend the black and white one. So just read the description and get the black and white one. There is a colored version as well where all the art is colored. I just prefer it in black and white because I remember reading it in black and white. And as we mentioned, stuff in color costs more money. So not only will you be reading it the original way, but you'll get it for a a good deal less if you get the black and white. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I looked it up. Um, On Amazon, it's like 26 bucks for the one-volume black and white. Um, which is the one that you got, the one with Thorn on the cover. Yeah. Um, there is also a colored version, but it's like a hundred bucks. 
Yeah, it definitely costs a lot more. And if anybody, as far as Usagi goes, if anybody is committed, you can get um, a paperback two-volume collection of all seven trades worth of the Fantagraphic stuff that leads up to before they go to Mirage and the Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Um, the retail price for it is $75. I got it for like 35 or $40, I think, from uh, from Bull Moose. And you can actually order books from them at bullmoose.com and get free shipping. Uh, if it's above $25, they ship me the email for free. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is on Amazon, but I would say check that also. Um, um, or in stocktrades.com. So to not confuse anybody, what you're looking for is Usagi Ujimbo Book One, The Ronin, is what we're going to be discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like twelve bucks on Amazon. Yeah, uh, and I'll I'll have to look up later the uh, the name of the collection. I'll I'll say next episode what the name of the collection is. So if anybody, if you can't find it, uh, tweet me on Twitter at who's Paul Martin is on Twitter at Geekvine. Uh, you can email us at hello at nerdylegion.com with any questions, comments, ideas, uh, anything about the show. Um, as with our other shows, we're doing this just because we want to. Uh, <laughs> but hearing from the other people who want to read these comics or are interested, uh, not only does it give us a lot of encouragement to keep doing this, uh, but it also will help us shape this podcast because it's the first episode of a podcast. And honestly, we don't have a real firm concept of what we're doing other than talking about what we want to talk about. Uh, anybody who's interested, if you give us your feedback, you'll probably have a lot of effect on how we progress with this. Isn't that what we always do, Paul? Yeah, pretty much. But, you know, with, with BCP, they didn't really start talking to us till we were pretty set in our tracks. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. Uh All right, so until next time, uh, go read some black and white comics. Quit being addicted to color, you fools. (laughs) 